The Honorable, the Chief Justice and Associate Justices of the Supreme Court of North Carolina. Oh yes, oh yes, oh yes. The Supreme Court of North Carolina has resumed sitting for the dispatch of business. God save the state and this honorable court. Good afternoon to everyone. Uh, Justice Irvin has the misfortune of having been potentially uh, exposed to COVID, hence the safeguard with the mask. Uh, wanted y'all to understand why he was uh, masked up. Uh, our first case uh, for Afternoon is Anderson Creek Partners at uh, all versus County of Harnett, and we'll hear from the appellant. And as I have pointed out to prior counsel, the podium roster, whatever, it will go up and down if you need it to. Thank you, Mr. Chief Justice. May it please the court, Mr. Chief Justice and Associate Justices, my name is John Scarborough and I represent Anderson Creek Partners LP and other appellants. Mr. Chief Justice, I wish to reserve five minutes of my time for rebuttal. This case presents the court with the opportunity to answer a question of first impression in this state. And that is, what constitutional standard applies to development impact fees charged by a local government? The Court of Appeals chose the reasonableness standard established by this court in Home Builders of Charlotte versus City of Charlotte. In that case, this court dealt with regulatory user fees, such as fees to cover the city's cost in conducting a floodplain analysis. This case, however, involves development impact fees, which unlike regulatory user fees are land use exactions that is, fees charged as a condition of development approval for a property. Now, Mr. Scarborough, just to make sure I understand the facts here, my understanding is that the fees that are at issue in this case are intended to make a contribution toward the payment of central water and sewer <coughs> infrastructure. You've been required to make a contribution in aid of construction for the uh, uh, mains and other facilities within the development these fees are intended to deal with things like sewer treatment capacity <coughs> i don't know whether they where they get their water from but whatever the water source is and how to get it to your system these are not fees that are intended to <coughs> cover mains and other facilities within the developments is that my understanding basically correct correct your honor these fees are charged to fund off-site public improvements in other, in other words the argument I'm not asking you to agree with it but at least the theory behind it is stated to be that we have to increase the capacity of the system in order to serve individual customers in your development and therefore we want you to make you, you the developer to make some contribution toward these central system fees I think so I think okay. the county's position is um, if the new development is impacting our public infrastructure, <coughs> then we're going to require a payment to offset that impact 
and use or, that money. Or another way to say it was we're going to have to expand our system to see you, and we want you to make some contribution toward the expansion of the central system. Yes, Your Honor. Okay, thank you. The United States Supreme Court in Kuntz versus St. John's Water Management District held that land use exactions, and specifically monetary exactions like impact fees, are subject to a higher level of constitutional scrutiny because of the, quote, risk that the government may use its substantial power and discretion in land use permitting to pursue governmental ends that lack an essential nexus and rough proportionality to the effects of the proposed new use. The county's water and sewer impact fees were required to be paid as a condition of development approval. Their land use exactions. And, and, and because and help me to, again, a lot of times I found if I understand the facts, I can possibly get to the correct answer. So, my understanding is this is actually a permit that Diener issues, but that the county has some input into and has to sign off on. Correct, Your Honor. It's um, <clears throat> the fees are required. Uh, before the county will concur on any applications uh, to Diener um, for water and sewer infrastructure within the development, which is, of course, required for plat approval. So this is um, very early before so, the so development but the, but can the even But the Diener permit requires the county sign off, in effect? Uh, yes, I believe so. I, I, I mean, could the permit be issued without the county's permission? Your Honor, I don't think I, I, I know the answer to that question. What I will say is that the, the county's um, answer um, uh, makes clear that the, the fees are paid as a condition of plat approval, building permits, ongoing construction. Uh, so it's a, it's a condition precedent but, to but, being but able to the build. Spe the specific permit that you can't get without the payment of these fees is a Diener permit? Or I know, it is, I know it's Department of Environmental Quality now. I guess I'm stuck a decade or so ago. Mm -hmm. <clears throat> uh, that's correct. My understanding, if the county does not concur on that application, then Diener will not issue the permit allowing the development to construct water and sewer infrastructure. And this would be the water and sewer infrastructure to be constructed is what? The I'm main, sorry, how about the mains and within the system, within the subdivision? Correct. The, the water and sewer infrastructure within the subdivision. Okay. But that taps on to the counties or the, the water district system. That is correct, Mr. Chief Justice. So the Court of Appeals on, um, looks like page 33 of its slip opinion, says we hold that impact and user fees which are imposed by a municipality to mitigate the impact of a developer's use of property which are generally imposed on, on all developers of real estate located within municipalities geographic di uh, jurisdiction and which are consistently imposed in a uniform predetermined amount without regard to the actual impact of the developer's project do not invoke scrutiny as an unconstitutional condition under uh, Nolan Dolan nor under NC Preston. Am I correct in saying that's what we're ar you're, you're arguing today that that's improper and that under the facts of this case the unconstitutional condition analysis should be required? Yes, Mr. Chief Justice. Okay, uh, why? 
Well, I think that the, the, first, um, the first issue is that the Court of Appeals seemed to conflate uh, impact fees and user fees. So a user fee well, did, like... Did, did, did the constitutional cases that you rely on use the term impact fees, user fees, or anything of that nature? The uh, Kuntz versus St. John's Water Management District? Uses those words? I, which, I'm sorry, your, I said, your which know, user, user fees, impact fees, those are terms that we find in our statutory jurisdiction, I mean, uh, statutory decisions, which we've had a lot of in the last few years, talking about what is and isn't authorized. Uh, the question I'm trying to deal with is how useful is that terminology for constitutional purposes? I think that it's, it's important because a, a user fee, like the regulatory user fees in Home Builders of Charlotte, that is the government providing a service and then the user of that service paying the government. An impact fee, on the other hand, as an exaction, is the the government conditioning its grant of a benefit to a landowner on payment of money that benefits the public as a whole. And that's the piece that implicates the Fifth Amendment's takings clause, is that the does, money... Does the expansion of central water and sewer facilities benefit your client as well as the water, the, 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 the public at large? It, it does benefit my client as well as the public at large. And the, does, that, does that make a difference? Uh, no, because the, the, um, the test here that, that we're concerned with is making sure that, uh, that my clients are not uh, bearing more of a public burden than they, than they should. In other words, that, yes, they receive a benefit from the water and sewer system, uh, but, but that's not a reason that they should have to pay more than their fair share to, to fund that public. Uh, infrastructure. I also have a question about the distinction in the U.S. Supreme Court cases in this area, and isn't isn't there a difference in Kuntz and prior cases that what we're dealing with is a single adjudication about a particular landowner, whereas in your case you were talking about a legislative determination that the county delegated from the legislature to the county that applies to everyone, not a single adjudicative decision. Yes, Your Honor, I believe that um, that that is the distinction that that the Court of Appeals made, um, and the the Court of Appeals seemed to think that because it was legislative, it didn't fall under the holding of Coons, Nolan, and Dolan. However, that legislative adjudicative distinction uh, was was never part of Nolan, Dolan, and Coons. Um, Instead, the focus was the nature of the, um, of the government action as an exaction. Um, the, the generally applicable nature of, of impact fees, number one, it's you know, generally applicable within a small subset of society, developers, okay? It's not a, a tax or a user fee, but that, that distinction, as a, as a practical matter, um, does not make any, any difference. To, to my clients, to a landowner who wants to develop their land, it does not matter if it's the Board of Commissioners taking their property 
or a planning director. Um, the uh, and, and this I, I cited um, two cases in a memorandum of additional authority. Um, the uh, Cedar Point case um, by the U.S. Supreme Court, Cedar Point Nursery versus Assad, made clear that that this distinction between generally applicable and adjudicative is, is not determinative. Uh, the Supreme Court stated the essential question is not, as the Ninth Circuit seemed to think, whether the government action at issue comes garbed as a regulation or statute or ordinance or miscellaneous decree. It is whether the government has physically taken property for itself or someone else by whatever means, or has instead restricted a property owner's ability to use his own property. And I also cited the uh, case of Ballinger versus City of Oakland, which was the Court of Appeals for the Ninth Circuit, and this decision came down in, in February. And the Ninth Circuit had always recognized that, that generally applicable adjudicative distinction and, and where an exaction fell in those categories uh, was was the difference between whether it would be subject to rough proportionality and, and nexus. But um, in Ballinger versus City of Oakland, uh, the Court of Appeals of the Ninth Circuit uh, stated that we agree with the Ballingers that what matters for purposes of Nolan and Dolan is not who imposes an exaction, but what the exaction does. And the fact that the payment requirement comes from a city ordinance is irrelevant. Does it even qualify as an exaction, though, if it is universally applied uh, as a fee to all the developers, especially with the Court of Appeals saying it doesn't matter whether it's uh, before or after uh, that which is being uh, taxed? Uh, the fact is it's universal, so therefore that takes it out of the realm of Kuntz. Your Honor, so the uh, Court of Appeals in Batch versus Town of Chapel Hill defined um, exactions as, um, quote, a condition of development permission that requires a public facility or improvement to be provided at the, at the developer's expense. And the court said that this includes impact fees. So these, these fees um, that, that we say should be subject to Kuntz fall right within this definition of an exaction. The Court of Appeals described if the developers declined to pay the fees, the county would have denied the developers permission to begin their desired construction projects. But as Justice Earl said, what would be the distinction uh, as to, or the lack of distinction, if you see it that way, uh, concerning in Coombs, there was a specific landowner who was isolated from others as opposed to here, we have a universal fee. Well, in, in Coombs, the the district was uh, conditioning Mr. Kuntz's permits um, on, on the payment of money, and that was, it had authority to do so under certain legislation. Um, so it was not um, an official at the water management district making this um, completely isolated decision that I'm gonna make Mr. Kuntz uh, pay all this money and I'm not going to give him his permits. This was something that was um, authorized by, by state statute. But it was also deemed to be conditional in terms of Kuntz paying in order to get what he desired, whereby here 
it didn't matter in terms of where the land was positioned or what was being promised, everything was going to be the same among all of those that contributed the fee. Well, for Mr. Kuntz, again, he, he had to pay money to, to get permits from, from the district. And the reason that the Supreme Court found um, a taking is because that money that was being extracted by the, by the district was tied to a specific parcel of land. So in this case, those impact fees are per lot in a platted subdivision. They, they are tied to specific parcels of land. So, so what is the nature of the taking that's at the core of the case here? What's being taken? The, the taking, um, I would um, just uh, read, but the Supreme Court has said that the Fifth Amendment's takings clause was designed to bar government from forcing some people alone to bear public burdens which, in all fairness and justice, should be borne by the public as a whole. The taking would be if the developers, as a condition of development approval, are having to pay more than their fair share um, of the cost to improve uh, water and sewer infrastructure, which benefits the entire public. That would be the taking. And to find out if that's the case, we have to apply nexus and rough proportionality to ensure that there's a connection between the government's demand and the actual impact of the development. Otherwise, the, the landowner is paying more than their fair share, and that's, that's the taking. Is it fair to say that, um, <coughs> excuse me, back up a second. You are not contending, I take it, that as a constitutional, not, not worrying about statutory, but as a constitutional matter, the county is prohibited from charging fees that permit you or your per subsequent purchasers to obtain access to the water and sewer systems at a later time. No, Your Honor, we're, we're not arguing. The only real issue here then is whether the rough proportionality requirement of the test has been satisfied. Exactly. <coughs> the, the question is what standard to apply, and, and we think that the nature of these fees as exactions um, uh, puts them under the, the Kuntz holding and requires nexus and, and rough proportionality. And as far as rough proportionality is concerned, at least as I'm reading the cases, and the, the ultimate question is, do you disagree with my reading of them, that in the event that the county was able to show that the fees that you were paid were no greater than the cost of that portion of the facilities that would be attributable to the development that your clients are involved in, there'd be no rough, no rough proportionality problem. Uh, Correct, and I'd like to, on, on the issue of rough proportionality, so, so that just, just to make yeah. sure that you and I are on the same page here, assuming for purposes of discussion that we were to agree with you that the uh, 
uh, nexus and rough proportionality test applied on remand in the event that the county was able to show that a per uh, lot cost for uh, attach, uh, providing the central facilities necessary to serve each individual lot was actually more than the amount of the fees that were required to be paid, you'd have no claim. At least your claim would fail on the merits. <coughs> Correct. We would not be able to. The the county uh, must show that it that it meets that that test, and um, the the idea of rough proportionality is that the county has to come forward and show some kind of methodology to support these amounts. Um, so while rough proportionality is not a high hurdle, um, it it requires some showing of of um, a methodology or uh, some kind of um, calculation for the for the fees and um, the the recent enactment of um, the System Development Fee Act, Article Eight of Chapter One Sixty Two A. The whole point of that act is to essentially codify nexus and rough proportionality for water and sewer impact fees. Um, so, so again, to get back to what I was trying to ask in my initial question, the only issue before us is whether, under the facts of this case, the um, uh, constitutional test has been triggered, uh, the constitutional condition test has been triggered, uh, since we're up here on a uh, granting of a, a motion uh, to, uh, to dismiss uh, or a motion on the pleadings uh, dismissing the case, the, the only question is, did the Court of Appeals err by saying they weren't going to apply the unconstitutional or the constitu unconstitutional condition test? And you're asking us to apply that test. Correct, Mr. And, Chief Justice. And, and I think I heard you uh, tell Justice Irvin that there's already this nexus between the fee and the fact it's water and sewer related. And so the real question on remand, if we were to uh, grant what you're asking, I think I heard you say, is the rough proportionality portion of this. Yes, Mr. Chief Justice, but you're exactly right. The, the question before this court is whether this type of fee triggers the nexus and rough proportionality test. And again, also, the, this test um, comes into play where a local government already has statutory authority to charge this type of fee. So most of the cases, or all of the cases in, in this state on impact fees have been about statutory authority of the local government to, to charge those fees. Um, in this case, um, the, the county argued and the Court of Appeals agreed that the county had statutory authority to charge the fees under Chapter 162A through an agreement with this water and sewer district. So, and, and that issue was not uh, taken by this court. So, the issue is when a local government has statutory authority, what is the constitutional 
backstop, how even if even if they have statutory authority, um, how do we determine that the fees or the amount of the fees um, is not undermining the Fifth Amendment's takings clause um, uh, principle that some people should not bear more of the public burden than their fair share. The, the general applicability um, that, that the Court of Appeals found dispositive, the only justification for that that, that I've found is essentially that it's a political solution. Because this is legislative, you can, you can vote to change the fee ordinance at the ballot box. Well, I like what the Supreme Court of Texas, how, how that court responded. We are not convinced, while we recognize that an ad hoc decision is more likely to constitute a taking than general legislation, we think it entirely possible that the government could gang up on particular groups to force extractions that a majority of constituents would not only tolerate but applaud, so long as burdens they would otherwise bear were shifted to others. The Constitution protects unpopular groups. I, I don't know in what world developers are a politically popular group. Um, so this this political solution is just um, it's just not a not a good foundation for uh, for rejecting this constitutional test. But again, I think the, the reason that the Home Builders of Charlotte test, the reasonableness standard, is, is not adequate here is, is because the user fee, there's a direct relationship uh, between services being provided and the user of the services. Um, and that's, that's the transaction, government, individual. Here you have the government taking money for the benefit of the public as a whole. And that's what implicates the, the Fifth Amendment takings clause and nexus and rough proportionality. And we would respectfully ask this court to reverse the Court of Appeals and, and find that this kind of monetary exaction does trigger that constitutional test. Thank you, counsel. We'll hear from the appellee. Mr. Chief Justice, and may it please the court, my name is Kip Nelson, here with Brad Reisinger and Chris Apple on behalf of Harnett County. Your Honors, the unconstitutional conditions doctrine prohibits the government from coercing an individual into giving up his or her constitutional rights. Both elements are required. There has to be coercion and the relinquishment of a constitutional right. Here we have neither. A generally applicable fee is neither coercive nor a taking, and therefore the unconstitutional conditions doctrine simply doesn't apply, and for that reason, the Court of Appeals decision should be affirmed. So looking first at the coercion element, a non-discretionary predetermined fee 
is not coercive in this context. Nolan and Dolan and similar cases were concerned about individualized ad hoc determinations. That's where the coercion came into play. In other words, there, there was an opportunity for the government to... Well, he, at least the way I understood those cases, and you know, ultimate question is, am I misunderstanding them in some way? Um, in each instance, the person or entity in question sought to do something. They had to get a permit in order to proceed as they wished to do so, and as a condition for their receipt of the permit, they had they had to, they were told that they had to do something, right? It, if I understood you correctly, Justice Irvin, the question, like in Nolan Dolan Kuntz, the <laughs> individual applied for a permit and had to do something in yeah. return. Yep, I, that's basically the, the fact, isn't it? That is correct. However, the important distinction here when it comes to coercion is that the, the negotiation process was individualized. In other words, Mr. Kuntz said, I want to do something, as, as you said, Justice Irvin, in, and in exchange, I will give you an easement over 13.9 acres. And the Florida district came back and said, well, um, how about this instead? We'll give you the permit if you give us even more property through an easement, or you pay us an, an equivalent amount on this other property. I, I had understood that the coercion in those cases was, in essence, you can't do what you want to do unless you do what these other things that I want you to do. I, I would disagree with that, Justice Servant. I believe okay. the coercion comes in when there's an ad hoc individualized determination. Well, as a person, uh, these folks say we want to develop property. And in order to do that, we wish to take advantage of the ability to allow water and sewer service to be provided to our developments. Uh, I mean, they always have the right not to develop their property, but they also that was also true of the uh, folks in Nolan, Dolan, and Coons as well. I'm trying to figure out why coercion does or doesn't exist depending upon whether you have a generalized requirement that something be done as compared to an ad hoc specific requirement? I mean, the, the concern about coercion is this idea of extortion, right? The government um, <laughs> bargaining with you to achieve some, not ulterior motive, but separate motive on the government. Well, I don't think anybody's saying that any of these things are bad things at the end of the day. And that's why I, I didn't want to use the word ulterior, but, but separate and independent motive. Here, importantly, the the service that's being asked for is connection to the county's, the district's water and sewer system. In other words, the developers are saying, we would like to hook into the system that's in place. Obviously, that's going to require modifications to the current system that's set up for a certain capacity. And in exchange, Harnett County says, we can concur on your application to Diener so long as you put forth some money toward defraying the cost of that capacity, the expansion. The coercion is missing because everyone knew beforehand what the fee was and everyone paid the same amount. That's why a generally applicable fee is not coercive. Can, can if, a fee become or be so onerous uh, that it amounts to a confiscation of the property? A, yes, Justice Berger, and that, that's a very important point. There are other doctrines that come into play under other factual scenarios. 
So we, the county is not taking the position that it can charge whatever fees it wants. That's, that's simply not the case. As, as Chief Justice Newby pointed out, the only question here is the unconstitutional conditions doctrine. But certainly, one can imagine other factual scenarios where other constitutional or common law doctrines would come into play. For example, if, if there really were an equal protection concern about who was getting what benefit, a developer could bring an equal protection claim, even if it's a class of one claim. Or if the, in the words of this court, if the fees are unreasonable in home builders, then there could be a challenge to those fees. But again, the only question here is whether the Nolan Dolan Kuntz trilogy comes into play. And, and the county's position is because the coercion element is missing, the answer is no. And if, if I could give an example to perhaps answer your question, Justice Irvin, I recently went to the DMV to get a real ID. Um, I, I was not required to have a real ID. However, soon, if I want to go on an airplane, I will have to have a real ID. So after submitting the documentation and getting my picture taken, the DMV asked for the fee. Um, there was no haggling over the fee, right? And I paid it to the VM, DMV in exchange for the real ID. That was not coercion under the county's view of the unconstitutional conditions doctrine. Similarly, although the government took my money, it was not a taking under the Fifth Amendment. Taking, obviously, is a very specific <laughs> concept in our constitutional jurisprudence. And it's important that the unconstitutional conditions doctrine relies on the relinquishment of a constitutional right. In other words, if there's not a constitutional right that's being given up, the doctrine doesn't come into play. And here, the, the only constitutional right I believe that's its issue is the Fifth Amendment right to just compensation, which of course depends on a taking. So it would be the, the developer's burden to allege a taking in their complaint, and that's what they failed to do. In fact, Justice Earls, when you asked what is the nature of the taking, I, I didn't hear a direct answer from, from the appellants on what is the nature of what is being taken, unless it is the simple fact that money was transferred from the developers to the county acting on behalf of the water and sewer district. Is, is the transfer of the funds enough? The, no. Justice Irvin, the mere transfer of funds in and of itself is not a taking. To be clear, in Kuntz, the Supreme Court said that funds in certain circumstances can be considered a taking. There it was, and in lieu of fee, either, again, either give me additional property in an easement or pay me the equivalent amount. And there, the court said, those are the same thing. You're, you're just trying, in the words of Dolan, to be gimmicky. What you're really saying is we want the property or we want you to pay for the property. But either way, what the government is getting out of that situation is the property, a right over property, which is, of course, the, the essence of the Fifth Amendment takings clause. But the, the mere payment of money is not a taking. What if it had been 100 times the amount that is, was required here? Would that mere payment of money be enough? So, just to make sure I'm answering the correct question, it's still a generally applicable fee, but it's 200,000 versus 2,000? Yes. yes. Um, no, it would not be a taking. Again, well, so, could, so it could never become a taking regardless of the amount that the government may say has to be paid? It, just so I'm clear, that, that it would not be a taking under the Nolan Dolan Kuntz question. 
there are, of course, other types of takings that could come into play. So, so why would that not be a taking um, sufficient to just trigger this test? Yeah, so, so it could be another type of taking. So there are several different types of taking, right? The one, the one classic would be going in and taking property by eminent domain. The, the Lucas taking, for example, is where you are deprived of all economically viable use of your land. If the fee or, or assessment or tax, whatever the monetary obligation was, was so high that it deprived you of an economically viable use of your land, that would be a taking under the Supreme Court's jurisprudence. Or there could even be a Penn Central type regulatory taking, which is the regulation goes too far. Did the Court of Appeals uh, apply a reasonableness standard when it looked at the fees here? It, it did not apply a reasonableness standard, I, at least as I read Chief Judge McGee's opinion, it, it said the reasonableness standard is the law of North Carolina. So why would it be onerous on a county, you know, like in this situation, to have to show that there's a nexus and there is rough proportionality with regard to what's paid uh, or what's required versus what would be uh, uh, needed? I don't think it would be necessarily onerous. In fact, I, I mean, the county's position is it could easily satisfy that test if, if it applied and if there were a remand and, you know, summary judgment motion was made. But as Your Honor pointed out to Mr. Scarborough, the question here is whether it's triggered in the first place. And, and if the elements of coercion and taking are missing, then you don't even have to get to the question whether it's onerous or not. So, so in your view, uh, the Supreme Court test is discussed in those three cases always requires, uh, you said, coercion and what was the other? The relinquishment of a constitutional right, which in Nolan Dolan Kuntz is the Fifth Amendment right to just compensation. Obviously, the doctrine applies to other rights, such as when the government coerces you into giving up First Amendment rights or Fourteenth um, Amendment rights. So. The doctrine, broadly defined, applies to enumerated constitutional rights. Nolan Dolan Kuntz was dealing specifically with the Fifth Amendment right. And that's important because... Counsel, I'm, I'm sorry if, if I can stop you there. Are, did you say that the payment of the capacity fee does not trigger the Nolan Dolan Kuntz analysis? The payment of a generally applicable fee does not trigger the analysis, yes. Okay, so help me square that position with this line um, from page 619 of Kuntz. We hold that the government's demand for property from a land use permit applicant must satisfy the requirements of Nolan and Dolan even when the government denies the permit and even when its demand is for money. That's correct. And, and if I could, I could turn Justice Berger to another statement in Kuntz from the majority opinion which said the Kuntz decision did not apply to property taxes, user fees, and similar laws and regulations that may impose financial burdens. Right, and, so the, and they go through an analysis of, you know, we've discussed impact fees before, we've discussed taxes before, easy to identify, right? But, but here, my understanding of your position was the payment of the fee doesn't trigger the analysis. And, and how do you square that with the statement here that the payment of money can, in fact, trigger the analysis. And the, the county's position, my position, my reading of Kuntz is that the payment of a fee can trigger the analysis when it's 
an individualized ad hoc determination in connection with giving up the right to just compensation. But that has not been decided in Kuntz, Nolan, or Dolan, has it? That specific issue has not, no. Okay. Which is why, as both, both sides presented to this court um, cases from all across the country discussing this issue. But I would also point out, Justice Berger, the Kuntz decision draws some sort of line between the in lieu of fees that were actually at issue in Kuntz and property taxes, user fees, and similar laws and regulations that impose financial burdens. And, and the, the question now in this case is which, which side of the line do the capacity usage fees fall on? At least as I read the Kuntz opinion, this side did not trigger the analysis at all. In fact, the Kuntz majority was careful to say it didn't need to go any further and didn't need to address those types of financial obligations. The only thing it was addressing was this in lieu of fee as, as the water district presented it an um, option to replace the easement. So if the capacity use fees are similar user fees or similar laws and regulations, then even under Kuntz, they wouldn't fall under the Nolan Dolan analysis. With this case being one of first impression in this state, you just mentioned the Court of Appeals looked at cases from all over the country. It determined in its opinion that the Dabbs decision out of Maryland was the one that was the closest to the current matter. Do you agree with that analysis that Dabbs is the best one to apply and would you urge its adoption here for us? I, I certainly think Dabbs is helpful. It's a thoughtful analysis from the High Court in Maryland. I, I don't know if I could say it's the best because it's in line with decisions from other states. I mean, the, the Colorado Supreme Court in Krupp engaged in a similar analysis. Douglas Properties, the Washington Court of Appeals engaged in a similar analysis, the California Supreme Court. So courts across the country have engaged in a similar analysis and reached the same conclusion, which is why, in fact, it would be a significant extension of Nolan Dolan Kuntz to apply the doctrine in a situation like this. So if other states have reached the same kind of conclusion based on the same kind of analysis and it comports with your position, you're not urging it as being the best? Are you seeing that there's something even better in your estimation? Um, I would, I would commend Dabbs to the court's consideration. I actually think as a factual matter, Krupp is, is more on point, K-R-U-P-P, -P, out of the Colorado Supreme Court, solely because in Dabbs, there was this issue about whether the fees were charged before or after the permit. Um, and in its opinion below, the Court of Appeals said that distinction doesn't matter because we're looking at coercion and taking, so the, the timing doesn't matter. But I think as a, as a factual distinction, Dabbs is slightly different in that regard. But the analysis is the same between Krupp and Dabbs, in your view? Yes. And Douglas Property and, and San Remo out of California. I would say, in my view, all of those cases engage in the same analysis and reach the same conclusion. Your, your friend on the other side says it, it doesn't matter which branch of government is involved. If I have a property right and it's taken, I have a constitutionally protected right that has been impacted. Why is that wrong? I don't, I don't disagree with that at all, Justice Berger. We, we agree with the Ballinger Court's analysis, which is the question does not depend on who is exacting something. The, the question is what is being taken. <laughs> Taken's the wrong word here, but what is being um, given to the government? <coughs> so 
I respectfully disagree with my friend on the other side that the question before this court is some sort of legislative, administrative distinction. That was not the basis of the Court of Appeals decision. I believe the word legislative might not even be in the Court of Appeals opinion at all. So at least in the Court of Appeals view, it didn't matter who created the regulation. It's a question of what is being regulated. And because it's a question of what's being regulated under the Fifth Amendment, the remedy is, is not to prohibit the government from doing something, right? The, the government can take property. The remedy is to provide just compensation for the taking. Here, it's not even clear what just compensation would look like. If, if this were a taking, the developers have, have provided no explanation for what just compensation would mean in this context. Rather, it's, in, the, in lieu of context in Kuntz, for example, it's pretty clear the compensation would be the value of the easement or the property that was in lieu of the easement. In a situation like this, it's unclear what just compensation would even mean. The other problem with that is that the Dolan court specifically said that to show rough proportionality, going back to your honor's question, the government has to show an individualized determination that whatever it is I'm asking for here is roughly proportional to what I'm giving you. With a generally applicable fee, it's not even clear how the government could meet that burden. If, if that were true, that the government had to show an individualized determination, it's unclear how that would play with a generally applicable fee like the one we have at issue here. Mr. Scarborough mentioned legislation that was enacted in 2017 to comprehensively regulate system development fees. Obviously, the law is going to develop in that regard. There will be challenges brought under that statute, which is why the county um, suggested that it's possible discretionary review was improvidently allowed in this case solely because the question of the interaction between constitutional takings jurisprudence and system development fees will necessarily change based on the new legislation. So obviously we believe the Court of, Appe Court of Appeals opinion was correct and should be affirmed and alternatively we would ask that the court um, rule discretionary review improvidently allowed. Can I ask you about a statement you made? You said that it would be a significant extension of Nolan, Dolan, and Kuntz to apply the doctrine in this case. And, and my question is, if we do apply it in this case, then what's the limiting principle? Like, where, do we, where does it stop? In, in the county's view? Yes. I struggle with that question, Justice Earls, because I'm not sure where the limiting principle would be. If, for example, in the county's brief, we raised the issue of um, an application fee when you apply for a building permit, um, it, presumably a smaller fee than the water and sewer fee, but the developers have not explained why that fee wouldn't be covered by the doctrine or why the filing fee to pay the petition for disc discretionary review. So. I know that's, that's not a very um, good answer to the question, and I, I apologize, um, but I, I'm not sure what the limiting principle would be. It seems, in, in the county's view, the Supreme Court and Nolan and Dolan and Kuntz took a very careful approach to the doctrine and has laid it out step by step and said when the government is taking property and coercing people into giving up a right, here is what the analysis looks like. 
But the court has also been very careful to say we're not deciding anything more. And that was highlighted most recently in Kuntz with Justice Alito saying, we're not getting into taxes or user fees or things like that because we realize the implications of extending the doctrine. And that's why courts, again, across the country looking at this have said, if we, if we expand the doctrine too much, it subjects every government fee to a taking analysis. And, and although in a particular case, Chief Justice Newby, that may not be an onerous burden at all, it's some, certainly the litigation and the risk of having to undergo that analysis is an onerous burden. Did that answer your question, Justice Yes, Rose? thank you. Okay. Counsel, kind of related to that point and just a purely theoretical um, question, uh, it was not argued, um, this case was not argued under the state constitution, but under Article One, Section 19, could this court or the state uh, offer greater protection to developers and landowners in this context? Certainly. This court always has the, uh, the obligation and the, the right to interpret our state constitution differently. It is, of course, our state constitution does not have an explicit takings clause, and, and it's been found in other provisions of our state constitution. But yes, this court could interpret its own unconstitutional conditions doctrine. If I could respond further, Justice Berger, one, it wasn't argued here, and, and I believe even today, my friend said, that's not what they're arguing for. And two, I would submit that it's unnecessary, because Home Builders has already laid out the standard for North Carolina, which is fees will not be upheld if they're unreasonable. And so, yes, this court could say more, but it, it need not. It, would, it state, would it state a claim then for a home builder to come in and say, forget Nolan Dolan and Kuntz, uh, we contend that this fee bears no relation to the cost of uh, providing us with uh, water and sewer capacity, therefore it's unreasonable? Under North Carolina law? Yes. I mean, I, I think that would be the allegation. That would be the question under home builders, which admittedly has not been developed I mean, I since under, that opinion. I understand that that's not what's been alleged here, but I'm just thinking hypothetically, would that be a permissible claim in the county's view, at least in theory? The facts obviously may or may not support it. Right. Uh, yes. Unless the court has further questions, we would ask that you affirm or, or rule that discretionary review was improvidently allowed. Thank you. Thank you, counsel. Rebuttal. Mr. Chief Justice, my, my, my colleague mentioned that uh, this case does not implicate any coercion and that no taking has been shown. To be clear, the, the coercion element is not dependent upon the, the setting where this takes place. It's not, it's not dependent on the planning director saying, I have this personal impact fee that I like to charge, you know, here's what you have to pay, or the planning director saying there's an ordinance and you have to pay this. The, the coercion is that as long as the value of the permit being sought is worth more to the landowner than the government's demand, the landowner is going to meet that demand. It's the proverbial offer that can't be refused. And that's the coercive element that led Justice Alito to apply um, the, the 
uh, Nolan and Dolan scrutiny in, in the Kuntz case. Um, also, my colleague stated that uh, there, was, there was no taking here. The taking is, in fact, a taking of money. Uh, money can be taken. Um, that the, the Supreme Court's um, cases, um, Brown versus uh, Legal Foundation of Washington, I, I believe, is, is the name where uh, interest in a trust account uh, could be taken, money could be taken, even though it was fungible. And the reason that Kuntz was applied to uh, monetary exactions and why a taking can apply to a fee is because that fee is tied to a specific parcel of land. It's, it's more like a specific pool of money, like a, like a bank account. It, it burdens the ownership of that land. Um, finally, Justice Earls asked about uh, any, any limiting principles or um, you know, the, the concern that this might apply to uh, filing fees and, and fees like that. Well, this is a very limited context. These are land use exactions. It's the, the key and the distinguishing feature of the, the county's impact fees for purposes of this appeal is that they're charged as a condition of development approval. And so all, all these fees that, that the county um, worries about subjecting to uh, nexus and rough proportionality scrutiny, those aren't, there's no development approval conditioned on payment of those fees. They're, they're user fees. Um, so it is a very limited context of, of land use exactions. So again, we would respectfully ask the, the court to reverse the, the Court of Appeals. Thank you. Thank you, counsel. Thank you to everyone.